again to everyone who helped yesterday with VBS decorating and uh, cleaning up the church. I heard that um, Amber Stillman, the last four churches she's been to, each church had to go through some sort of spring cleaning process. And so the next church she chooses, it will be by the fact that it will not have to go through a spring cleaning process. Is that right? You loved it. It's a lot. It was a lot, but we had a good time. Uh, get out your Bibles, please. Have them on your laps. We want you swimming in the Word. We are in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We are verse 21 through 34 this morning. Mark, chapter 4. Starting in verse 21. This is the word of God. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in in, in to be under, to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with that can we compare with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desire your presence. We ask that you would be with us. The word is hard enough to understand. Your scriptures, your supernatural message to us is hard enough to understand, but then we have to work with parables. And yet we know that you long to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to know. And so would you help us to do that, that we may understand fully and finally who we are, not ultimately citizens of this earth, but citizens of the kingdom of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you move to a new city or country, you must adapt. You must adapt. You must adjust to your surroundings, to the culture and the people and the language. In a way, you must learn your new place. You must learn it. So my wife and I, and then my kids later on, have lived in very different parts of the world, three places in the United States. 
and then here in Europe. We were born and raised in Washington State, the very corner of the United States. And then when we were married, we traveled 3,000 miles by car to Florida, where we lived for two and a half years, northern Florida. And then later, we migrated to Massachusetts for grad school. Of course, most dramatically, we came to live here in Belgium. It took us three months just to kind of feel normal here. Six months to not feel deep embarrassment that we didn't speak the language. And it's taken us nearly three years to understand many of the cultural quirks of Belgium and her beautiful people. We have a long way to go, but we are acclimating. That is what you do. We are learning the place that we live. Jesus says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is Jesus talking about? He's saying that God is coming. He is on the move and he is beginning to reestablish his kingdom. This is a kingdom that will be good. But we must ask ourselves the question, will we learn it? Will we learn the kingdom of God? Because, the, because learning begins now. The kingdom's priorities are already on display. The language, the culture, the practices of the kingdom must be acclimated to now. Friends, we must learn our new place that is coming. This new realm and reign. Do we have ears to hear First point this morning, learning the kingdom's promises. Learning the kingdom's promises. Look at verse 21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So these parables, all of these, the parables that we're covering today are about the kingdom of God. And this is why Jesus has come to earth. Why he has come to this people in this dark place. He has come to reestablish the kingdom of the Lord on earth as it is in heaven. What we just prayed earlier. And Jesus is not going to hide his purpose, is he? The coming kingdom is like a lamp in a darkened room. A very bright light in a darkened place. It is coming to radiate light and eradicate the dark. The kingdom is coming to bring freedom and joy. So a long time ago in 2007, my wife and I visited Germany and we visited the Dachau concentration campsite. So we saw where the men and women and children had been treated so severely during World War II. And it was sobering. It's painful. And we ended our time inside one of those buildings where they had send, assembled a small collection of photos of the camp's liberation by the Allied forces. You can see them there. It was so overwhelming to go from witnessing the darkness and evil of the camp and then to the light of freedom. We can only imagine what it was like to first hear and then to see the tanks and trucks and boots and planes come to rescue them. Imagine freedom after years of brutal oppression. Christians, I believe, must look 
for the kingdom with similar anticipation and joy. The kingdom of God is coming to liberate the world, to subdue the powers of darkness, and to bring joy to all the people. That is why this kingdom is so important. Because it promises, because it promises life as it was always meant to be lived. Let's add some more details to this. What else does the kingdom promise? The kingdom promises power. It promises power. So it's easy to think of this as, as a place, geographical area, area, the kingdom of God. Kingdoms are marked by territories. They maintain their control through the land that they own. But Jesus is talking about something much different, something much bigger. Because he is talking about a new power, about a ruling regime and realm. And this power will be absolute, infinitely strong, and it will disrupt and undermine the evil forces of the world. You get this sense from this power in verse 29. It says, but when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has, harvest has to come. And this is not about the work of ministry. This is about what God will do at the end of time. At the end of time. Where he will judge all things and all people. God has the absolute power to judge and punish. Or to save the peoples of the earth. And that's something, a kind of the negative side, but the positive side is that the same power that he will judge with will also be the same power he will rule with. When we are finally ushered into the kingdom of God, God will use his power to make us new and then to give us all things forever. So the kingdom promises power. And of course, if it's a kingdom, it promises a king, a king, and it will be the kingdom of Christ. Jesus will be its head, its ruler, its Sovereign. I told my daughter this week that she had to clean something up outside. And she looked back at me with those eyes that children give. And she said, why should I have to do that? And I said, because I am your dictator. Because you must do what I say. There is no democracy for you. Don't get me wrong. Jesus will be a good and benevolent king. But he is the king. He is the king. Do you see him that way? Do you relate to him that way? Because to live as the subject of the king, you must give over yourself, your own wishes and your power. That is very different than what we are used to. Because how are we born? We are born believing that we are our own masters and lords. Whether or not we live in Belgium like a kingdom or United States where it only has just the, the three-party system, we do not like kings. We do not want people to rule over us. We cannot imagine coming under the rule of another. But this is what is required. To see Jesus as king and do what he says. Now friends, listen. If Jesus is not king, then none of this matters. He might be a good example, but does he have power or authority over you? And yet, if Jesus is king, if he is the risen Lord, then you have to submit everything you have and everything you are. Your money is his. Your sexuality is his. 
Your career is his. Your kids are his. Your marriage is his. Your time is his. Your ministry is his. C.S. Lewis says this, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. So the kingdom promises power, it promises a king, and finally it promises goodness. Here's what I would say. You put those two things together and you get, you get goodness. The powerful kingdom and the good master in King Jesus. The kingdom plus Jesus equals goodness. The parable about the lamp is an assuring parable. It is telling us people trapped in darkness that the kingdom is really coming. It's coming. It's coming. If you light a lamp, if you turn a flashlight on, you bring it out into the open. No one hides a lamp under a bed. This is an assurance of what is coming. The kingdom is beginning to shine its light. It is beginning to shine its light throughout the whole world. Now, what is that light? The light is the light of life. Going from darkness to light. From oppression and sadness to freedom and joy. When I struggle, when I'm struggling in life with depression or heartache or loss or failure, I will often turn to John 14. This is what he said is coming. Has, what he says is coming. Jesus Christ, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. The kingdom promises goodness, lasting, beautiful goodness. Second, what, do we, what else do we learn? We learn the kingdom's priorities. We must learn the kingdom's priorities. Look at verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So let's say this in our own words. If we have the right things, we will be given more. If we have the wrong things, even more will be taken away. And it's a little bit like the disparity between those who are very wealthy and very poor. The very rich, on the one hand, tend to get richer and the poor get poorer. I'll give an example from someone rich. Paul Allen was one of the founders of Microsoft. Before he died, he made a pact with other billionaires to give away all of his money. But later, he had more money than, my, than when he started. Why? It wasn't because he wasn't generous. It's because billions and billions of dollars are like planets, they're like their own, with the, in their own solar system. They have a gravity all their own. This money simply grew because billions of dollars just suck money, more and more money to it. Similar with poverty. Those who are poor have a very hard time getting ahead, a foothold in our culture, in our economy, and making more. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So let's look at the first part. What is the things that we have, the things that we must have? So if I say, if 
you have blank, you will be given more. What is the blank? If I have blank, I will be given more. What is the clues of the kingdom? We know that the kingdom is unlike anything else. Compared to our earthly kingdoms, it is strange. It is upside down, inside out. Living in this kingdom, it means a total reversal of the world's values. And so I would say that the first thing is that the kingdom demands humility. If I have humility, I will be given even more. Jesus refers to the kingdom as a mustard seed, right? Verse 31, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. What is he talking about? Humility, meekness, tininess. That mustard seed does not look like anything at first, but it grows ever so slowly. But it does not stop. It does not falter or fail in meekness and quietness and lowliness. It rises to the surface. And then it breaks through the soil and sprouts its branches and leaves. The strength of a healthy plant from the humility of a seed. That is the way of the kingdom of God. It does not come with political power and military power to destroy. It comes with the delicate growth of a seed. Now let's apply that to our own hearts, our own lives. Is that how we would describe ourselves? Meekness, tininess, quietness. Would your friends, your husband, your wife, your children describe this? Or would they use these words to describe you? Humble and meek, not power hungry, not seeking to dominate, considering the needs of others over your own, winning the world with kindness, forgiveness, confession, forsaking pride. Are you humble? Are you humble? Second, here's what else we could say. The kingdom demands our trust. If I have trust, I will be given even more. If I have trust, I will be given much more. Mark 4.26, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So again, this is a message of of hope. A message of hope to men and women and children living in darkness and oppression. Jesus assures them the kingdom is coming. It is like waiting for crops to come up out of the ground to grow. It will be slow and unnoticeable at first, but we will see it. We are beginning to see it already. And then someday the world will not be able to ignore it. Now listen, what is the implication of this? That we must trust the Lord. We must be patient. I love the last part of verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He has no idea. This is still the case today, by the way. Scientific advancement has given us a better idea of how growth like that works. We understand the mechanisms and the stuff at the cellular level required to grow a plant, but we don't know how to create life from scratch. We don't know how it really happens. And yet, what do we do? We keep planting. We keep waiting. Because we must We must trust that the planting of the seeds will bring the harvest of 
fruit. From our vantage point, things are going pretty badly. We can get discouraged about what is happening in and around us. The turn away from God, especially in the West, United States and Europe, and also in the East, is dramatic. Nations are rising against nations. The culture is changing so rapidly. And this can make us feel uneasy. It makes me feel uneasy. It can make us feel like we need to abandon the world, abandon our culture and the people, or come back and fight them with the same fire that they fight. That is not what Jesus is saying. He is saying that we must trust him, that we must trust that he is working, that as we plant seeds, he will do the work of growth. He will always do what is right and good. He will give us what we need. And so when hardship comes, we trust. When people fail us, we trust. When disunity comes, we trust. The way of the kingdom is trust, and when we have it, we will be given more. Finally, the way of the kingdom is generous. If I am generous, I will be given even more. That doesn't make sense. Let's look at it. Mark 4.25. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And there's two sides to this coin. Two sides of this coin. First, what we have has been given to us by God. I need you to take that one in. Everything that we have is a gift Everything, our money, our IQ, our food, our ingenuity, our kids, our careers, our friends. There is nothing that we produce on our own that is good, that, is, that comes apart from the Lord. We receive everything then with gladness. We receive what God shares with gratitude. That is having in the kingdom of God to be satisfied and thankful for what he gives us. But remember that the kingdom of God is a reversal of values. It is a turning upside down of what we know. And so having in the kingdom will also mean giving away what you have. We are blessed to bless. We are shown kindness so that we can be kind. We are comforted so that we can comfort. We serve. We are served so that we can serve. God has been generous with us, infinitely generous, so that we can be generous to others. That might be the most surprising part about the kingdom of God. You have when you have not. And so we must be radically generous. Generous with our time our energy, our listening, our kindness, generous with our forgiveness and mercy, generous with our money. This sort of generosity does not seek repayment. It does not ever come with strings attached. We give because we are blessed and because God is glorified when we do. So those are all the things. If I have this, I will have more. And so what can we say about that other side? From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Of course, this is a warning. This is a warning. That if you do not act on what you have heard, what you have learned, if you do not passionately take on the life of the kingdom now, you will eventually lose everything forever. And so I'd say... Take this as a warning. 
We often in our lives will look down a path and say, I can walk down that path, even though that is not the righteousness of God. It is not what he wants for me. It is not what is best for me, but I can walk down that path and I can come back. But too many walk down and they never come back. When we lose, we lose everything forever. Last point, learn the kingdom's passion. We must learn the kingdom's passion. Warnings like that, are hard for me to hear. You know what's even harder? The calls to live the kingdom lifestyle. I am, I'm not going to tell you, I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. I'm so sinful. It feels like my ears are so clogged that I am a lost cause. And so how will I, how will you do as Jesus demands? How will we hear? How will we see? How will we walk along this path, even though everything calls for us to leave it? And I think the answer always is that we must understand the heart of the kingdom of God and the heart of the kingdom of God is the passion of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to verse 21. It's a little mystifying. He said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? And not on a stand, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, the literal literal translation of this verse reads, does the lamp come to be under the bed? Or you could say it, does the lamp move itself underneath a bed? Now, that doesn't make any sense because we know that lamps don't have legs. They can't walk. They can't move. They don't have feet. They can't walk. So what is Jesus talking about? He is not actually talking about the word. He's not talking about the truth. Jesus is talking about himself. He is the lamp. He is the light. It is Jesus who has come, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King to be revealed. And he said it would happen. Now, we've watched him the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, where he's hiding himself. He'll look at someone that he's healed, and he'll say, don't tell anyone about me. And why is that? It is because he has one mission in mind. He has to get to the cross. That is where Christ's light would shine brightest, where Christ would be fully And finally revealed, it would be at the place of humility and weakness where Jesus would perform the most radically generous act of all time at the cross. I'm going to jump parables. The passion of Jesus would be, was a lot like that mustard seed. A lot like the mustard seed. At the time, it would have seemed so insignificant. A tiny act of bravery and sacrifice. In fact, most people saw it as a failure, a failure of his to act and do what was necessary to conquer Rome. And yet we know, we know that his humble sacrifice was the most powerful act ever. He died and then he rose to new life out of the ground from mustard seed to plant, from death to life. And this is what would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, 
hearts to know. Jesus came into the kingdom of darkness so that we could live as people of the kingdom of light. And so I leave you this morning by asking these questions. Have you given everything to Jesus? What part of you, what part of your life, is he not Lord over it? He does not demand perfection, but he does demand our faith. And I believe that it will grow by grace. He will give us more. He will give us more and more and more slowly, quietly, persistently. Let's pray. Lord, I am messed up. I am sinful. I do not have what it takes to make it into the kingdom on my own strength or power. And I know that everyone else in this room is the same. On our own, we are too weak and insignificant. We are too wayward. Our ears are plugged up. Our eyes are blind. Our hearts are hard. And yet, despite our sin, despite our struggles, you are there persistently growing us. We do not know how. We do not know how it works. We barely know why, except that we know you love us. And you will make it to happen. And so I pray for mercy for each person in this room to live and learn the kingdom of God. Not just here on Sunday mornings. Not just at night after work. Not just when they're on their own in a room reading the Bible. Lord, in every moment of every